this evening and turn to Acts chapter 27. <clears throat> Acts chapter 27. And it should have been given a map as you walked in. And the reason for that is that we're going to start looking at Paul's missionary journey, or his, sorry, his journey to Rome <clears throat> this evening. And I thought the easiest way for you to follow along would be to have a map in front of you. I'm sure most of you have one in the back of your Bible, but it makes it easier than turning back and forth. Um, and it makes it easier for me than trying to, I don't know, paint a magical, invisible map up here this evening. So that's what the map's all about, help you to follow along this evening. But let's start reading from Acts chapter 27, verse 1 this evening. It says, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, <clears throat> uh, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia. One Aristicus, a Macedonian of, Macedonian, sorry, of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be here and to come once again and to study your word. We pray, Lord, this evening as we <clears throat> begin to look at Paul's uh, journey now to Rome, that you'd bless our time, that, Lord, you would help us to understand your word and to uh, glean from your word the truths that you would have us to see and Lord may we be blessed and refreshed by your word this evening may you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak that Lord as always it would be your words and your thoughts and not my own and that Lord you would uh, teach us through your word this evening and we pray these things in Jesus name amen <clears throat> now it was right back in chapter 19 and verse 21 that we first saw Paul express his desire to minister in Rome. Back there in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, we read this. It says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And so it was back in chapter 19 we first saw Paul express this desire. Now, at the time that he expressed that desire, he was still at Ephesus. So he still had a long way to go down the coast and down to Jerusalem and he spent a long time down there and in Caesarea before he finally heads now to Rome. He begins this journey. You know, Paul didn't know everything that was going to happen to him, did he? When he made that, that declaration back in chapter 19, he didn't know everything that was going to happen along the way before he would finally set sail for Rome. You know, during that, that period of time, he's been falsely accused and arrested at the temple. He's been put on trial before the Sanhedrin, before Felix, before Festus, and as we finish looking at this morning, King Agrippa. And each time his innocence has been plain, it's been obvious to all, and yet he's remained in prison there in Caesarea for two full years. And through it all, Paul you know, had the promise, didn't he? The promise from God that he would minister or bear witness at Rome. And so he had that promise to hold on to. He had that promise to, to comfort him and to strengthen him through all those trials that he faced. And finally now in chapter 27, Paul begins his journey to Rome after he's appealed under Caesar. Okay, we saw him appeal under Caesar before Festus. 
Finally now he's put on the ship and he begins this journey. Now I'm sure this is not how Paul envisioned travelling to Rome. This was not his preferred choice. I mean he's travelling as a prisoner. This is not how he saw it happening. But you know God promised that he'd take him to Rome and God is fulfilling that promise isn't he? God's doing as he said. You know, as it was God's will for Paul to go to Rome, you know, the natural assumption would be that this would be a pretty smooth sailing journey, that it would be an easygoing trip. You know, we have that assumption at times, don't we? We're doing God's will, so it should be easy. You know, this is Paul, this is God's will for Paul to go to Rome, and so we could assume it would be easy, but it's far from that. And I know we know that, we know what happens on this journey. It's far from being smooth sailing. But, you know, through it all, God is in control. God does have a plan. God is the master of the ship. He is still planning the journey through it all. And so here in these final chapters of Acts, Luke gives us a detailed account of Paul's journey to Rome. And this evening we're going to consider just the first little leg, if you like, of the journey, the first part of the journey and so first of all here this evening we see the pleasant beginning the pleasant beginning look there in verse one it says and when it was determined that we should sail into italy they delivered paul and certain other prisoners unto one named julius a centurion of augustus band and entering into a ship of adramitium we launched meaning to sail by the coast of asia one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go on to his friends to refresh himself. The pleasant beginning. Now, after Paul's hearing before Agrippa, uh, Festus doesn't waste any time, if you like. He doesn't wait any longer before he offloads Paul. You know, he gets him out of his, his hair. He puts him on... The first ship that he has chance and sends Paul on his way. In verse 1 it tells us that Paul along with numerous other prisoners is delivered into the custody of a centurion named Julius. Okay, Verse 1 again it says, And when he was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. So Paul and other prisoners are uh, put into the custody of this, this centurion to take over to Rome. You know, the word that's translated other here when it says other prisoners, that word other in the Greek means other of a different kind. And so it suggests to us that the status of these prisoners is completely different to that of Paul. You know, they're, they're ordinary prisoners. Paul is different. You know, Paul has not yet been condemned, has he? Okay, he's appealed on the seas, and so he has yet to be condemned for anything but probably everybody else who's on that that journey is condemned they've already been convicted you know he's on his way to rome to have a fair trial before caesar they've had their trial and they've been sentenced and now they are condemned they're on their way to rome and most likely most of them are destined to suffer uh and and die in the entertainment gains there at the amphitheater that's most likely what's happening there that's where they're going to end up they're going to be you know, in those horrible games that the Romans had, you know, the Colosseum and everywhere else. That's more than likely what's going to happen to these other prisoners. You know, having said that, you know, God puts them on a, on a ship with 
Paul, doesn't he? They have an opportunity here to hear the gospel, don't they? On this journey all the way across, they have an opportunity for Paul to witness to these condemned men. Uh, what a, what a uh, place to be. Now, an opportunity they're given by God. That's the, 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 the grace of God, isn't it? That's God's hand at work. And also accompanying uh, Paul on this journey is Luke and a man named Aristarchus. Okay, look there in verse 2, it says, And entering into a ship of Adramitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonia of Thessalonica, being with us. And so Luke here now includes himself again in the story. We haven't seen Luke in the story since Acts chapter 21, verse 18. So there's been quite a period of time where Luke hasn't uh, included himself. But now, once again, we see the, the first person, person plural, we, okay, and us is employed. And so Luke is on board this ship. He's joined Paul on the journey. And it's been suggested that perhaps he's been allowed to go with Paul as Paul's physician, or maybe he's got a job as the ship's doctor. Um, that's the suggestions going around, that that's how he got on board. And then there's also this man named Aristarchus on board as well, another Christian. And it's been suggested that he's traveling maybe as Paul's personal attendant. Um, and the reason that people make those suggestions is because how else do they get onto this ship that's ca- carrying prisoners across to Rome? Okay, there's, there's got to be a reason they're there. And so people try and make a connection. Some have even said that maybe they're, they're um, going as Paul's servants on the ship. But in any case, he has these two men with him on this journey and there's no evidence that these two have been arrested themselves there's no evidence that they are prisoners okay luke and aristarchus are not prisoners and so they're there by choice they're traveling with paul because they want to be there with him you know aristarchus would end up being a, a fairly faithful companion to paul we read of him later on in colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 and luke says that he's a fellow prisoner go over there to colossians chapter 4 with me <clears throat> Uh, sorry, Paul says, Colossians 4 and verse 10, uh, Paul says this, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. So he's writing most likely from Rome here, and he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And so he spent time with Paul in Rome, in the prison. He was a faithful companion. You know, Paul must have thanked God for these two men. You think about it, he's, he's now a prisoner and he's on his way to Rome. And for that journey, God's given him these two traveling companions, these two men. They've given up their liberty to join Paul on this journey and to uh, risk their lives as well. You've got to remember this is traveling in those days back then. Okay? There was no guarantee they were going to make it. It's a, it's a treacherous journey on these ships. And so they're risking their lives on this journey to be with Paul to be an encouragement, to be an aid to him. You know, I was thinking about, you know, we all need friends like Aristarchus and Luke, don't we? We need friends like that. When we're going through the storms of life, we need those friends to come alongside, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And Paul is going through the storms of life, isn't he? Both physically, uh, literally, sorry, and also spiritually. He's going through both here on this journey. And so he has these two friends with him. And going down now to the port of Caesarea, the centurion finds a ship. It says it's originally from the city of Adramitium. 
Okay, and he puts them on this ship. There, verse 2, it says, And entering into a ship of Adra Mitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. So he goes down to the port and he finds this, this ship that's heading westward. Okay, you look at your maps there, it's heading west. That's the direction they need to go. And so they board this ship and they begin their journey to Rome. Now, Adramitium was a, sea, a seaport way up to the north of Asia. Okay, I don't think it's actually on your maps there, but it's up near Troas. That's where Adramitium was. Okay, so it's way up the top there um, in the, the northwest area of Asia Minor. And so this means that this ship has probably travelled all the way down the coast to Caesarea and maybe even further, and now it's on its way back. It's on the return journey, if you like, back home. And this is the ship that they board at this time, and it's a, it's a coastal vessel. Okay? And so what it would do is it would put in at every port along the way. That's what this sh- ship was doing. It was going up, and it says there in verse 2, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. In other words, to put in on the coast along the way at all these ports to unload and to take on. So uh, it was just a coastal vessel. It's a smaller sort of vessel. And verse 3 indicates that you know, the journey begins very well, doesn't it? Look in verse 3. And the next day we touched at Sidon. The next day. They set out from Caesarea and they journey up to Sidon. You can look at your maps there. And they arrive there the next day. They cover 110 kilometers in one day. So they're doing well. They've had a quick, swift journey from Caesarea up to Sidon. And at Sidon, Paul is uh, permitted to visit friends in the city. At the end of verse 3 there it says, And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Paul's permitted now to, to leave the ship and to go into the city and to visit friends. And so that suggests to us that there in the city of Sidon there is a church established. There's a group of believers and Paul goes to meet with the believers at this time. And we're told he's permitted to do this so that he might refresh himself. You know, without doubt, after being in prison for two years, and even though he had, you know, liberty in prison, okay, it was not like any normal prisoner, he had a bit of freedom, but he's been in prison for two years, and so Paul needs some refreshment, doesn't he? Needs some refreshment. He needs the refreshment that these fellow believers can give him. Now, they probably provided him with clothes. They probably gave him some food, you know, medical attention if needed. Most importantly, they provided some spiritual refreshment, didn't they? Paul has an opportunity to go and spend some time with some fellow believers. And it would have been a joyous time for Paul to meet with one of these churches, to meet with old friends, to fellowship with them. You know, already here we see the centurion Julius is showing Paul a, uh, a certain amount of kindness, isn't he? A certain amount of favour that he's not showing to the other prisoners. He's showing it here to Paul, this favour, this kindness. You know, what it speaks to us about is the fact that Paul obviously has a pretty good testimony, doesn't he, already. They're only a day into the journey, but Paul has a good testimony. Perhaps he's established that testimony during his time in prison, and the centurion's seen that. But he has a good testimony. He has a good uh, testimony before this centurion, before the others on the ship, so much so that he trusts him after a day's journey to go and visit these friends within the city. Now, he's probably under guard. He probably had a, a soldier with him, but he trusts Paul. He gives him this liberty. And so it's an indication to us of the character of Paul, isn't it? You know, Paul had this testimony before men, this godly character which was seen, which 
then resulted in the way treated, people treated him. They responded to it. And from here we now see the journey begins to get a lot harder. As I said, it was a pleasant beginning. It started out well. And now it begins to get a lot harder. The second point here this evening, we see the contrary wins. The contrary wins. Look there in verse 4. It says, And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a, a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, uh, the winds not suffering us, we sailed under Crete and over against, over against uh, Salmon. And hardly passing it came unto a place that is called the Fair Havens, nigh unto was the city of Lassia. And so they leave now the harbour of Sidon and things get progressively harder. The next stage of the journey is very difficult and it's very slow. Now we're told that the winds are contrary there at the end of verse 4. The winds are contrary. Now during the, the late summer, Apparently, the, the prevailing winds on the Mediterranean Sea are from the west and the northwest. And so this means the wind is against them, isn't it? They're trying to travel to the west. The wind is blowing against them. It's blowing to the west. Uh, sorry, blowing from the west to the east. And so the wind is against them. And so in order to make any progress, they would have had to, uh, it's called tacking. They would have had to zigzag back and forth to make progress to the west. And so they would have to travel southwest and then turn and go northwest and keep doing that, zigzag back and forth. And so it's a very slow and arduous journey, this next leg. And because of the contrary winds, we're told in verse 4 that they sailed under Cyprus. Okay? And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, at our first reading, when we read this, we think, sailed under Cyprus, they must have gone underneath it, gone to the south of Cyprus. And I can see you looking at the map, you're thinking, no, they went to the north. Well, that's the reason is because that phrase, sailed under Cyprus, doesn't mean they went to the south of Cyprus. What the phrase actually means is that they sailed along the coast of Cyprus. They kept as close as possible to the shore to find some shelter to you know, break up the wind that was blowing from the west and northwest. And so they endeavoured to find shelter there from the dangerous winds. And so basically what Luke is saying is he's saying they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. If you want to put it in a, a better English, if you like, they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. And so instead of sailing directly across the open sea, which they would do when the winds were favourable, they sailed to Cyprus and they keep close to Cyprus and then they go up to the north between Cyprus and Asia Minor there. Verse 5 indicates that to us. It says in verse 5, And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Now the sea referred to there, the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, is that region to the north of Cyprus, Okay, between Cyprus and um, Asia Minor. That's the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia. So they've gone up to the north, between that region. And eventually now they arrive at the city of Myra. In verse 5 there, it says, Myra, a city of Lycia. Lycia is the southernmost region of Asia Minor. 
And that's where this city, Myra, is located. And it's upon arrival in this city that the centurion Julius finds a ship that's bound for Italy. Okay, that's what he's sort of been looking for. He's taken this coastal vessel up the coast. He's looking for a ship that's bound for Italy, and he's found one now in Myra. And so they abandon the, the slower vessel, and they board this larger uh, vessel that's going to cross the open sea and head to Italy. And so he puts Paul and he puts the others on board. Look there in verse 6, it says, And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. We're told this ship here is from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is right down there in Egypt. And so it's a ship from Egypt. Egypt, it sailed all the way up, and it's here at Myra at this time. And verse 37 and 38 give us an indication of the size of the ship and also what it's carrying. Now, verse 37 it says and we we were all sorry and we were in all in the ship 203 score and 16 souls and when they had eaten enough they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea so we're told a couple of things there about this ship that they're on board it's quite a large vessel isn't it okay there's 276 passengers on board after paul and the prisoners and the soldiers are all on there there's 276 on board so it's quite a large vessel that they board but we're also told there that it's carrying wheat or grain from Egypt now Egypt was the main supplier of grain for Rome there was a main trade between Egypt and Rome and they would get their grain from there and Myra was one of the chief ports where this grain fleet would stop so they leave Alexandria they travel straight up north and they land at Myra before heading to Italy, to Rome, with the grain. And so more than likely, this vessel belongs to that grain fleet. It's one of those vessels in that grain fleet that's heading to Italy with the grain for Rome. And because of this, this is why the centurion's able to put everybody on board. Okay? Because essentially, this grain ship is actually employed by the state. Okay? It's, it's, it's a state-run scheme where they've got these ships ferrying all this grain back from Egypt. Okay, and so it's essentially run by the state, it's employed by the state, and so the centurion is able to command authority, isn't he? He's able to command authority and to, if you like, requisition this vessel for himself, for the soldiers under his command, and indeed the prisoners as well. And that's how Julius gets everybody on board at this stage here. The vessel at Myra heading now to Italy. And aboard this larger vessel, you know, the journey doesn't get any easier. You'd think it might get a bit easier at this point, but it doesn't. Verse 7, it says, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against uh, Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salmon, and hardly passing it, came unto a place that is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lassia. And so again, now we see the progress is quite slow. It's a slow journey. It says, and when we had sailed many, uh, said, sorry, and when we had sailed slowly many days. It's a slow, arduous journey, even aboard this bigger vessel. They're traveling in a westerly direction. And so as they go to the west, the wind is against them. It's not favoring them. Now, Snidus that's mentioned here in verse 7 is 200 kilometers to the west of Myra. And so they leave Myra and they head west 
to Snidus, 200 kilometres away. And it took them, it says, many days before they arrived. Many days because the winds were against them. Okay, look there again in verse uh, 7. And when we had sailed slowly many days and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us. The wind's not favouring them, it's against them. And so it's been slow and it's taken them many days to cover that 200 kilometres. Now you go back to the start when they left Caesarea. They went to Sidon, 110 kilometres away in one day. This should have taken them a day and a half, two days max. And instead it takes them many days to cover this short distance. And when they finally, finally come close to Snidus, they turn south southwest and they seek shelter by sailing close to the island of crete okay the end of verse 7 it says we sailed under crete over against salmon now there you see that same phrase again we sailed under crete we sailed under the shelter of crete okay it's that same idea they sailed close to the island to seek some protection from the wind to make the journey a bit easier but even sailing close to crete was not easy In verse 8 we read, and hardly passing it. That phrase, hardly passing it, means that they were scarcely able to pass Salmon, mentioned in the verse before, without being shipwrecked there at that cape. Okay, That cape's right in the point there of the island of Crete. So Luke says they barely got out of there without being shipwrecked on the rocks. Barely passed it. And so even travelling close to the coast wasn't, a safe journey. It was hard. It was hard going. And finally, after many days of struggling, they arrive in the place called Fair Havens. That's what it says there in uh, verse 8. And hardly passing it, we came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lassia. They finally arrive in this this port on the, the southern side of um, Crete, the island of Crete. It's called Fair Havens. And this is only a small little port, but it's, it gave them some shelter from the wind. And so you can imagine they were, they were happy when they finally arrived in there for a bit of rest from the treacherous journey. And as I said, it's been a very hard and slow journey to get to Fair Havens. It's estimated that the sailing time between Sidon and Myra was about 15 days. And then between Myra and Fairhaven was at least another 25 days. And so the journey has already taken 40 days at least, possibly even longer. It's taken to get from Caesarea right across to Fairhavens. And so, you know, the wind has been against them the whole way. It's been a very slow journey, a very hard journey. But, you know, the point of it all is that God's still in control, isn't he? God's still in control. You know, the winds might have been contrary to man's purpose, but they were in in accordance with God's purpose, weren't they? I'm sure that, you know, the sailors, the centurion, everybody on board that vessel was getting frustrated at how slow the journey is, how hard the journey is. But, you know, God knew what he was doing. God's in control. God is in control of the winds. God's the one who sent this wind. God's slowing the journey down. God has a purpose to it all. You see, God's going to use all of these events to highlight that Paul is his servant. That's really what he's going to do. He's going to highlight that Paul is his servant and God's going to get the glory through it all. Now, as we'll see in a minute, Paul is 
about to have an opportunity to warn them of what's to come. He's about to have an opportunity to speak up and to warn them not to go any further because there's danger ahead. As I was thinking about that opportunity he's about to have, how important is it for Paul leading up to that time to have a good attitude and to have a good reaction to the journey? How important is it for Paul during this 40 days where it's taking forever to get anywhere for Paul to have a good testimony and a good reaction? You know, if Paul had been downcast during that time, if he'd been constantly complaining, constantly whinging, if he'd been impatient, imagine what that would have done to his testimony. Imagine what that would have done. They probably wouldn't have even sought his advice or let him speak up. It's because of Paul's testimony during this time that he has that opportunity. You see, if Paul had been, as I said, downcast, complaining, impatient, what it would have demonstrated to the sailors, what it would have demonstrated to the centurion and the soldiers, it would have demonstrated a complete lack of faith in God, wouldn't it? It would have demonstrated that he's lost faith in the Lord, that he's lost faith that God is in control of the journey. You see, Paul had to be patient, didn't he? He had to be patient. This is a trial. It's a slow journey. It's a frustrating journey. And Paul has to be patient during this time. He has to, at this time, demonstrate his faith that God is in control so that those around him might see that patience. You know, likewise, it's important for us in our own lives, isn't it? To be patient and in faith wait upon the Lord. Wait upon God for his timing. You know, sometimes we're in the will of God, like Paul. He's in the will of God here. This is God's will. Sometimes we're in the will of God and everything seems to be going against us, doesn't it? Everything seems to be hard. It, it seems like it, the going is slow. The going is tough. You know, the winds are contrary. They're going this way, but everything's blowing the other direction. You know, it's in those times that our faith is really tested, isn't it? Our faith in the Lord, our faith that God is in control, our patience is tested. But you know, it's in those times that we need to look to the Lord and in faith, trust that He is in control. Trust that He has a plan, He has a purpose, and that His timing is always best. We can't rush the Lord, can we? We can't rush the Lord. We have to wait patiently upon Him. And make no mistake, others are watching our reaction during those times, aren't they? You know, the sailors, they were watching Paul. They saw how Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus behaved themselves. And so their testimony during this time is key, and our testimony during those times is key as well. And that leads us to our last point this morning. We see now Paul's admonition. Paul's admonition. Look there in verse 9. It says, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and ship, but also of our lives. Paul's admonition. You know, they've arrived in fair havens. By the time they get there, they're already well behind schedule. You know, they should have been this far a lot earlier. It's taken them way too long to get there. And as they're now in Fair Havens and they're waiting for a change of wind, it soon becomes clear to them that they're not going to be able to complete the journey. There's no way 
They're going to get from Fair Havens all the way across to Italy before the onset of winter. It's not going to happen. It's too late in the season. The dangerous season for sailing upon the Mediterranean apparently is from September the 14th right through to November 11th. That's the dangerous season. They still travel, but it's not real safe to be upon the sea at this time during Paul's day. After November 11th, all navigation on the sea would cease completely. They'd stop sailing. They'd stop uh, traveling upon the seas until the end of winter. And in uh, in verse 9 here, Luke tells us that it's already into the dangerous season. It says there in verse um, 9, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And so Luke tells us they're already into the dangerous season. And he also gives us a, a reference which gives us a rough date for when he actually says this and, and when they're right here at Fair Havens. He refers to a fast. He says that the fast was now already past. The fast is past. That fast that he's referring to there is the Day of Atonement, which in AD 59, which is the year they believe Paul is travelling to Rome, in AD 59, the Day of Atonement was on October the 5th. It was on October the 5th, and so the Day of Atonement has already passed. October the 5th has come and gone, which means that they are well into the dangerous season, aren't they? Remember I said September the 14th right through to November 11th is the, the dangerous season upon the seas. And so they're well into that dangerous time, and they are fast approaching now winter and the closing of the seas. And so the centurion has a decision to make. Either they stay in Fair Havens for the winter or they try and push on and reach Phoenice, a haven of Crete. Okay, it's a bit further along the island of Crete there and winter there instead. And evidently there's a discussion going on amongst the crew as to what they're going to do. And Paul is given the chance to speak up and he gives his advice. He advises against it. Look there in verse 10. At the end of verse 9, it says, But uh, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and ship, but also of our lives. We're told that Paul admonished them, or he gives them here some advice. Now, the fact that Paul is a prisoner is able to speak up and give his opinion, give his advice, again tells you something about his character and his testimony during this time, doesn't it? And the very fact that they let him speak up tells you something about his testimony amongst the crew. When Paul speaks, they do listen. Now, at this time, they don't take his advice, but they let him speak. They let him speak and they listen to what he has to say. And Paul's advice in verse 10 is that they should remain where they are. They shouldn't press on, And he tells them that he perceives that danger is ahead. You know, verse 10 reads much like prophecy, doesn't it? He says in verse 10, he says, And he said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and ship, but also of our lives. He speaks almost like prophecy here. Indeed, there is an indication here that he has received this from the Lord. You know, the Lord has told him what's to come and he, he knows that it's dangerous ahead and that there is going to be hurt, there is going to be damage to the ship. And so Paul is warning them here, giving them the warning from God of what's to come. 
But you know, sadly, the centurion here, he doesn't listen to Paul, does he? He doesn't listen to the advice of the man of God. Let's read from verse 11. It says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. He doesn't listen to the man of God. He doesn't listen to Paul's advice. Now, here we see there's, there's three factors that influence his decision here. In verse 11, it tells us that he listens to the expert advice of the master and owner of the ship. It says, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. This is the first thing that he was influenced by, the expert advice. Now, he thought that the ship owner, the master of the ship, that he would know better than Paul. He would know better than the man of God, and so he ignored Paul, and he listened to the experts. And of course, this was a mistake that he would learn from. Next time Paul spoke up later in the chapter and gave his advice, Lucius listens to him. He listens. He listens to what Paul has to say. But on this occasion, he ignores Paul. He listens to the wisdom of men. The second factor that influences his decision here is that Fair Havens is not the most comfortable place to wait out the winter. Look in verse 12. It says, And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And so because it's not the, the best place to wait out the winter, it's not the most comfortable place, they decide that Phoenice is better. It's a bigger harbour, a bit of bigger port. There's more places to stay. It's a bit more comfortable to wait out the winter. And so they want to make it to uh, Phoenice instead. And so the, the second influence is comfort, isn't it? That's the thing that influences him here. It's comfort. And then the third influence is circumstances. Look in verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. The third influence was circumstance. The wind blew softly. Now they woke up in the morning. The wind is now blowing softly. Everything seems to be in their favor. Circumstances are going their way. And so they set sail for Phoenice. You know, it wasn't long before they realized just how wrong they were and how they should have listened to the man of God. But you know, the centurion's decision-making here is a great example of how not to determine God's will, how not to determine the will of God. You now, his decision was based, first of all, on worldly advice. It was based on worldly comforts and it was based on favorable circumstances. Three things that we should never use to determine God's will. You know, it's easy for us to make the same mistakes, isn't it? It's easier for us as believers to make that same mistake and to, to determine God's will by worldly advice, to determine it by worldly comfort and by circumstance. And the reason we end up doing that is because of why we ignore the counsel of God. We ignore His Word. Because we fail to listen to the Word of God, first of all. You see, the counsel of God, His Word, must always be the determining factor. And if God's Word says something different, well, we take God's Word, don't we? We listen to what God's Word says, first of all. We don't follow worldly advice, comfort, or circumstance. We follow the counsel of God. You know, here the centurion, he ignores the counsel of God. He ignores the man of God. 
And he sets, and they set forth, they set sail, and they end up in a tremendous storm, as we know. But you know, even in this, even in the events that now follow, God is still in control, isn't he? He knew the choice that the centurion would make. God already knew. God knew it was going to take place. And so God is still in control as they head out now, and the storm comes. God sent that storm. God's in control. As I said earlier, God is going to use all these events for his glory, and he's going to use these events to highlight that Paul is his servants. You know, through it all, Paul's testimony before these men is of utmost importance. It really is. This whole journey... From start to finish, Paul's testimony is of utmost importance and it will, you know, it will uh, come to the fore as well as he ends up giving witness and, and, and giving God the glory on the island there. It's because of Paul's testimony he has all these opportunities. But you know, the same is true in our own lives. People are watching, aren't they? They're watching how we react to the storms of life and we go through those storms as believers. You know, during those times, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and we need to patiently and in faith trust that he knows best. You know, as I said, people are watching and they'll see our reaction. They'll see the way that we behave, the way we conduct ourselves in those times. Love, we need to keep our eyes upon the Lord. Keep our testimony right before men. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Luke's description here this evening of the first leg of the journey. Lord, it was a slow, it was an arduous journey, a difficult one. But Lord, Paul is in your will. And Lord, you have a reason why you made it hard, why you made it difficult. And Lord, Paul's testimony through it all is of utmost importance. And Lord, you gave him great opportunities to witness because of it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us likewise to realize that as we go through the storms of life that you are in control, that you have a plan, you have a purpose. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to patiently and in faith wait upon you and trust that you are in control. Bless now, Lord, as we close, we pray in Jesus' name.